Today we're going to talk about Galatians, to continue in the series of talks um, that we've had over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, um, which is called Galatians for You. Um, so you might remember, and uh, we've had Christian, Gav, Paul and Gareth, um, and they've brought us through um, different aspects of the book of Galatians. But they're all kind of following this central theme of looking at the gospel, what it is and what it means, not only as part of our evangelism but and the way that we become Christians, but also looking at it as we continue in our Christian journey and mature in a grace-empowered relationship with, relationship with Christ. So, just to recap, Galatians is a letter to the early church in Galatia which is one of the many churches that was planted by Paul. And he, the writer of the letter, travelled around, spreading the gospel and planting churches and then revisiting them and communicating with them by letter and through other people to advise them and guide them as their church grew and developed. So, as you've seen in previous weeks looking at Galatians, one of Paul's main purposes in writing is to address the issues that they're having with the message of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It is the message of freedom, the message of Christ as our personal saviour, who set us free to live a free life. It is the very foundation of the church, and the reason it began, and the reason it continues. However, in Galatia, false religious teachers had kind of infiltrated the church and were putting their own spin on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul had originally preached to the Galatians. These false teachers were imposing their old religious rules and regulations, which Paul called the law, to the Christians of Galatia. And by doing this, they were changing what the message of the gospel essentially was. Like Paul says in chapter 1, verse 7, by doing this, it's really no gospel at all. And so Paul is writing to take on the arguments of those who are twisting the gospel by imposing the old religious law. And he's writing to clear up what the gospel is and just how vital it is to continue living by the gospel. That is, living by the Spirit, set free by Christ. So, the verses we're going to be looking at today follow on from Paul writing about how we are justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. When we talk about being justified by faith or being made righteous, we're talking about being made right with God and being made perfect in his sight. It's about God loving and accepting us unconditionally, not based upon our performance or how good a Christian we are. God fixes our relationship with him and redeems us, not because we have attained a certain standard, but just because we have faith that he will do what he promises. We are made righteous, and we gain salvation through our faith, not by observing rules. And Paul talks about how this is the way that it has always been. In chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, he uses the example of Abraham, who was around before the law even existed, as someone who believed God and so was made righteous. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We'll unpack this a little more later. But basically what Paul is saying is that it is all about faith and it always has been. But this begs the question, what then is the point of the law? If Abraham was blessed because of his faith, then what was the point of God bringing in the law 430 years later with Moses for his people to follow? The law is the scripture that makes up the first five books of the Bible. 
such as the Ten Commandments. It's the guidance that God gives to Moses for his people to follow, and it's what they try to live up to for hundreds of years. This is the law that Paul is talking about in Galatians. By arguing that salvation is all about faith, opens up the question of why the law existed in the first place. The verses we're going to look at today really address this question. But first, um, I'd like to have a think on your tables about these ideas of law and about faith. What do you believe about them? It's a really big topic, so, but have a go anyway at talking them through. What implications do they have for our lives? Just have a chat now, or just have a think for a minute or so about what is the point of the law. Go. Thinking about it, um, so we're just going to listen um, to the passage now that we're going to be um, looking at today, um, and Flo's going to bring that to us. Okay, so we're looking at Galatians 3 15 to 29, and that's on page 811 of the Bibles on your tables. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For, if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why, then, was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that's Galatians 3 verses 15 to 29. For me, certainly, at a first glance, these verses are quite confusing. (laughs) Um, But if we dig a little bit deeper, then we find these verses actually embody Paul's response to the false teachers who are imposing the old religious law. In fact, he uses the same scripture as they did, but he uses it to show that it is by faith, not the law, that we are saved. Paul, 
as a Jewish convert, had previously been a champion of the law. He says in chapter 1 that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of his own age and was extremely zealous. So he knew the law inside out and had tried to live by it for years. In fact, he persecuted Christians in the name of this law. But in this passage, he is now writing as a champion of freedom and faith, living a transformed life of freedom in Christ. These verses focus on the law and the promise. First, let's look at the promise Paul refers to, which is God's promise to Abraham. God promises Abraham salvation through faith. Like we were saying earlier, that is Abraham being made righteous and therefore saved by God due to his faith in God's provision. Not through his own performance or self-generated goodness. God's promise announces the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. Those who have faith will be blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So it's in Galatians as well. And Jesus is the fulfillment of salvation through faith. Because Abraham had faith, he was saved. And it was exactly the same for Paul. It was exactly the same for the Galatians. And it is exactly the same for us. So, what Paul is saying in verses 15 to 18 of this chapter is that the promise can be understood through an analogy of a human covenant. This is like a legal will or a contract, so that once made, it is binding, no matter what comes afterwards. Therefore, the law, which comes after this vital promise of salvation through faith, doesn't change that promise in any way. God promises us this awesome inheritance, but doesn't demand that we comply with certain rules or conditions in order to receive the inheritance. What does that mean for the Galatians, though? Look at verse 17. The law does not set aside the covenant previously established. This is a really big deal. If the law had been a requirement for salvation, then it would mean that salvation was based on our performance rather than God's promise. It would have meant that God had changed his mind when he introduced the law. And if the law was a way of salvation, it would have meant that God had decided that we didn't need a saviour. But this isn't the case. The promise is binding and it precedes the law. For a promise to bring a result, it needs only to be believed. But for a law to bring a result, it needs to be completely obeyed. The very nature of the promise is that God binds himself to give it to us freely, no matter what, even when it demands Jesus' life. There are no ifs or buts. God does not change his mind. So, if the law doesn't change the promise, that brings us back to this question of what is the point of the law? The crux of Paul's argument is that the law and the promise serve entirely different purposes, yet both lead us to Christ. Paul has established that the law does not change or replace the promise. This hits the nail on the head for the Galatian church. The false teachers were promoting the law as another requirement to get salvation. So basically saying that faith in Christ and living by the gospel wasn't enough. And that people also had to live up to religious rules and regulations to become righteous and thus to be saved. The Lord does not set aside the promise as a source of blessing. Whatever the reason that God commands his people how to live, it cannot be in order to gain acceptance from him. Paul shows that the law serves a different purpose. First of all, the law was added because of transgressions until Christ had come. So the law tells us about transgressions. It tells us about sin. It proves to us that we are not the solution because we cannot be perfect law keepers. 
It isn't difficult to bring to mind some part of our lives where we keep messing up. The law leads us to the recognition that we need the promise of salvation through grace. We need Christ. It supports the promise. It doesn't do away with it. A Christian leader called John Stott put it like this. No man has ever appreciated the gospel until a law has first revealed to him has first revealed him to himself. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. And it is only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. The law then leads us to the truth and freedom of the gospel. The scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. That's verse 22. Um, Paul seems to almost be talking about it from his own experience. The message version of this verse puts it even more clearly. For if any kind of rule keeping had power to create life in us, we would certainly have gone in it by now. The law, which Paul had rigorously lived by for years, only shows that it is impossible to fulfil. We are far from perfect. Devising a religious system of rules that supposedly lead to perfection does not enable us to be righteous because we can never live up to its standards. If we measure ourselves by such standards, it can only lead to despair or blind arrogance. We see throughout the Old Testament that the Israelites, having been given the law through Moses, go round in circles, literally. The law does not make them perfect or moral. John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, said this. Run, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. So the law tells us to run, but it cannot provide the means by which we can actually run. It points to the promise of salvation through Christ, but it doesn't provide it. The law can't save us, just as we can't save ourselves. So, the first purpose of the law is to show us that we are broken. We need rescuing. We need a saviour, and that saviour is Jesus. By making us realise that we cannot save ourselves, the law shows us that we must go beyond the law and seek a saviour instead. By treating the law as a way to be made righteous, the Galatians were devaluing the power of grace. When we talk about being made aware of sin and judgement, often it can make us feel a bit awkward, like it's a bit shameful and unworthy, or it can put us on the defensive, on the other hand, arguing that we're not that bad. Look at everyone else. But in thinking that, We're missing the point. To feel like either of those things is to be under the power of the law rather than living by the gospel. When the law makes us aware that we are broken and cannot fix ourselves, it points to how we can be redeemed by Christ alone, not by trying harder and doing better. This is true freedom. Freedom from guilt or self-deception. Knowing instead that God gives his grace freely and unconditionally and doesn't expect or demand that we live up to deserving it. Before we go on, let's just take a minute to soak this in. I want you to chat on your tables about this. How do you feel when we talk about being made aware of our own brokenness? What ways do we try and fix ourselves or other people? And do we sometimes devalue God's grace and think that there are some things that it just won't cover? You've got a minute. Go. Okay, the next thing to note is that Paul describes the law as a mediator. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified through faith. 
See in verse 23, we were locked up until faith should be revealed. Paul likens the law to a kind of tutor or a guard, supervising us until we come into maturity, which is a relationship of faith. In fact, the Lord guard, the law guards us, intending to hand us over to Christ. But the Galatians weren't letting go of this supervisor. Instead of accepting its teaching and moving out of this safe zone that the law provides, they kept wandering back into the prison of law, trying to gain God's acceptance through human performance. This might seem kind of like an obvious thing, but if we don't move on from the supervision of the law into a life of faith and direct relationship with Christ, we make the law into a prison cell, locked up until faith should be revealed. By being reliant on it, we are under its power and become imprisoned by it. But this doesn't just apply to those first Christians. We face this challenge every day. I don't know about you, but for me, often it is harder to have faith that God will deliver right on time than it is to instead formulate my own rules and regulations for the world. Impossible standards that I impose upon myself and upon the people around me. Sometimes it's easier to opt out of an all-consuming faith that calls for me to trust God utterly with every last bit of my life, taking risks and getting rid of every safety net, every, every single security blanket. Sometimes it feels safer to retreat back into the prison cell than to step out and to step up to living by faith. Christ's crucifixion isn't cosy and it isn't comfortable and this is made so explicit earlier in Galatians when Paul says that I am crucified with Christ, Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. That's the gospel and it's not just about doing my best or being a good person. It's about realising just how broken and unfixable I am without God. By admitting how searching and demanding the law is, only then can we truly acknowledge and accept the massiveness of God's grace. It shows us as we really are, and it shows Christ as he really is. Let's go back to verses 25 to 29. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this promise of salvation through faith extends not just to Paul and the Galatians, but to every one of us regardless of who we are or where we've come from. By having faith in Jesus, we are accepted as God's children, his heirs. And what an incredible promise. And sometimes we can get so complacent and kind of be, oh, it's all right. But actually to grasp this in its full extent, we have to understand what living by faith looks like, how big a deal this is. Saving faith is more than just believing in the existence of God or even just assenting to the doctrines of or the teachings of the Bible, just in general. It is trusting in God to do what he has promised. In verse 12, Paul says that there are many who live by the law instead of living by faith. To live by something means to rely on it for our happiness, fulfilment, and our confidence. 
In preparing this talk, I've been so challenged to look at exactly what I'm living by. Am I living by faith alone? Shall we accept God's promise in its fullness or just crawl back into the prison cell of rule-keeping? It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Are you free?